Welcome to this episode of Lifestyle Matters. I'm Savina Nithyanandan, and today I'm joined by a guest speaker, Dr. Debbie Utama, who is an obstetrician and gynecologist working both in Mount Waverley and Berwick. Welcome, Debbie. Hi, Savina. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us. Um, it's the first time we've had a specialist on board, um, but I thought it would be nice to take, you know, pick your brain about one of the common well, women's health problem called polycystic ovary syndrome. Um, there, it's such a huge. There's a, such a huge aspect of lifestyle component in managing polycystic ovary syndrome, mm. and I thought this would be a great start to introduce a specialist in our show. Yeah. Um, so, as a GP, I know that diagnosing polycystic ovary syndrome can be quite murky for some people. Um, you know, we've got the Rotterdam criteria, which mm. lists sort of, you know, two out of three cl- criteria that we look at, you know, oligo um, or anovulation. So basically having irregular cycles or not ovulating, um, having signs of excessive androgen. So, you know, having being hairy or having sort of male pattern baldness, or, you know, that can also be sort of shown in the form of having high testosterone levels in your blood test. And the third criteria that we look at is basically having X amount of um, cysts on your uh, follicles on your ovaries. Um, so more than nine to 12, I believe, on more one ovary. 20. So two out of the three criteria we use to diagnose polycystic ovaries. More than 20, sorry, yeah. thank you. More than 20. Um, and so I guess those are, that's the criteria that we use. But what is it to you? What is polycystic ovary syndrome to you as a gynecologist and how do you see it impact yeah. women so it is it's a big it's a big topic and it's certainly you know it's one of those topics that there's a lot of unknown and there's a lot of known but it certainly impacts people in every aspect of our life um it's i think it's important to know that it's not really a disease so there's no cure per se it's more of a syndrome so it's more of a condition where um, the management that we do is more tailored towards managing the symptoms rather than getting rid of this um, condition altogether because it's not really a disease with cure in a way. And I agree that a lot of polycystic ovarian Mm. syndrome symptoms, um, a lot of it has got to do with um, management, I mean, lifestyle management um, that can help the symptoms to get better. So I think, you know, um, with the Rotterdam criteria, even with them, it is still can be quite tricky um, to diagnose because everybody presents in a different way. Not, you know, not every woman with polycystic ovarian syndrome will have the same um, symptoms and the same um, issues that they complain of. Some will have you know, issues with their period. Some will have issues with difficulty um, losing weight. Um, and some have issues with, you know, the symptoms of increased testosterone, like acne. Um, or some only have um, incidental finding of polycystic ovaries. While I'm on that note, it's really important to stress that having an ultrasound scan which shows multi-follicular ovaries, um, which can be, you know, termed as polycystic ovaries, does not equal to having polycystic ovarian syndrome. It is one of the criteria that is needed 
Yeah, and it's especially in the early phases of uh, monarchy. That's right, yeah. Um, the first eight years of monarchy, it's normal to, to have multiple follicles because your ovaries are like, whoa, um, it's just being stimulated. So it's all normal. So I think um, it yeah. is one of the criteria that we use, but definitely having an ultrasound scan showing that does not equal to having the syndrome altogether. So I suppose, you know, being a gynecologist, I see a lot of women with polycystic ovarian syndrome who came um, with issues with their period. So um, having irregular period and having really heavy period. Um, Also, um, women who is struggling to get pregnant um, those two are basically the kind of you know patients that will um, come to me being a gynecologist um, and certainly on further history there's a lot of other issues yeah no and I guess as a GP what I've also seen is when I've picked up diabetes and then I backtrack and then you realize right there's also polycystic ovary syndrome underlying yeah. that was not picked up yeah. um and that happens to me as a GP so as you said many ways to pick up polycystic ovary yeah. syndrome um and obviously for you you see them more in the lines of fertility and irregular cycles yeah. in terms of on your end I guess you know because we're sort of talking about the lifestyle approaches of polycystic ovary syndrome so let's cut through the chase we've diagnosed someone with polycystic ovary syndrome um let's put medications aside like what would your first line approach be in you know talking to someone with polycystic ovary syndrome and you know any um you know any advice you might have around yeah that? i think it all comes down to polycystic ovarian syndrome like you know where does it come from and it's all Obviously, um, we don't actually know the pathophysiology per se as to what brings on, um, you know, polycystic ovarian syndrome. And certainly, there's no single gene, or it's not genetics per se either. But we certainly see, um, we certainly see that it is something that can run in the family. I don't know again whether that is um, something that is, um, you know genetics or is that a lifestyle but it's definitely something that's quite complex um that can also potentially because of the lifestyle that we live um anyway coming back to that right a lot of um we know what we know about positive ovarian syndrome all got to do with insulin resistance um and because the body in someone who has positive ovarian syndrome is resistance to insulin so the body is trying to produce more insulin and that also um, produces more um, testosterone which is the secondary male um, hormones that we women normally have but not as much as men so in women with PCOS because of that there's also a higher risk of testosterone causing all the symptoms Um, and a lot of I mean knowing where it starts that's when lifestyle management is important to reduce the insulin um, resistance. So usually the first thing that I talk to patients about is um, healthy lifestyle, which basically um, exercise and diet. We know that not all women with polycystic ovarian syndrome is overweight, um, but we know that you know the majority 
um, of women who have polycystic ovary syndrome, have um, issues with weight, um, be it overweight or difficulty losing weight. Um, but we know that losing yeah. 5 to 10% of um, body weight in this group of women who are overweight will help to get rid of the symptoms. Being, um, when I say the symptoms, sorry, most of it being um, with the anovulation and obviously then leads to fertility. Yeah, I was just going to pipe in there about the weight gain issue. Um, what I also understand is women with polycystic ovary syndrome have actually a higher rate of weight gain than those with a polycystic ovary syndrome, about one or two kilos per year, which is, you know, actually a real struggle, um, you know. So it is actually a real problem for them and because of the insulin resistance, which you've just described. Um, and I think the other thing is um, I read somewhere where they said uh, – I guess in Australia, um, the um, indigenous women, those who are overweight, like who've got a BMI of more than thirty, um, more than thirty, about close to thirty percent of them actually meet the PCOS criteria. Mm. They actually have polycystic ovary syndrome, and that's quite a large number. Yeah, um, I think. Yeah, so I mean, it just comes down to what you talk about insulin resistance, I guess. Yeah, in um, in Australia, I think the yeah. um, incidence rate of PCOS is about 8 to 13 percent in general population and we certainly know that there are certain ethnic mm. groups and indigenous yeah. population is one of them that is definitely higher risk um, of developing polycystic ovarian syndrome or you know have more prevalence of PCOS and again you know is that is that partly because of genetics is that partly of um, lifestyle so it's a very complex um, discussion here that you know we can have but i suppose no one really know um what caused it per se do you happen to have a spiel about the diet and exercise for your patients yeah so i think in terms of diet right i think well before that normally depends on depends on how motivated and how severe the situation is too I think polycystic ovarian syndrome to begin with is not something that needs to be, that can be managed by one or two people. I think this is a, you know, a condition um, where it affects so many facets of your life um, that it should be um, managed by different teams, different specialties and being led um, by a GP who, you know, deals with the holistic approach of the patient. Um, so I think I normally talk to patient about, you know, maybe seeing a dietitian um, as well as um, exercise physiologist to help them with um, managing the weight loss in a healthy way because diet alone is not manageable um, or maybe not sustainable. Um, as well as, you know, exercise alone without mm. the good diet may not help with the weight loss either. That's right. It's that multidisciplinary approach, isn't it? Yeah, and it's about teaching them about what is the what is the most the safest but most manageable way that can sustain you. And sometimes it's 
not about short-term change and hoping that this will actually be a long-term change. Um, yeah, so I normally talk about referring them to a, to see a dietitian as well as, um, you know, uh, seeing an exercise physiologist or joining the gym. But generally speaking, um, I normally tell patients to have about 30 minutes of um, moderate to vigorous exercise a day. I think the guidelines is about what, 150 minutes a week of vigorous exercise um, mm-hmm. in a week. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, so that's yep. what I normally tell patient. Um, yep. And, you know. So I think the recommendation is about 150 minutes of exercise yep. and uh, 90 minutes of it at least being moderate to high intensity. Um, but there is no actual evidence to say, right. Um, you need to only do strength exercise or you only need to do cardio. They would want an aerobic sort of uh, moderate to high intensity exercise, but obviously an incorporation of strength base and aerobic weight base are basically going to be quite helpful to do both. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, sorry, carry on. Yeah, no, so that's the thing. It's I think it's, um, it's not something easy to just go into um, and it's, also something that, you know, I normally tell patients that, look, um, if you haven't been leading an active lifestyle, like I'm not expecting the change to be drastic. So even if it's just about making an effort to have a 30 minutes casual walk to begin with every night after dinner, that will just help with, um, I think, you know, getting out there, um, increasing your heart rate as well as that can help to reduce the insulin resistance as well. Yeah, so that's the non-incidental exercises. Yes, actually, yes, that's the term. Yeah, so even just like, you know, when you go grocery shopping, park your car a bit further away and taking that walk to the shops to go get your your groceries instead of parking right in front of the shopping centre. So Mm. little bits like that, starting small and building from that. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely helpful. Every little thing counts. And I think, um, again, I think in terms of like, you know, diet, in terms of diet, there's no um, evidence as to what diet is, um, is good um, to reduce the symptoms of polycystic ovarian syndrome. There's no um, evidence that any is good. And really, I think it's not about a diet per se. It's more about the lifestyle, the changing the habit of eating healthy and counting calories rather than, you know, keto diet or um, a certain kind of optifast diet because that's just not sustainable in the long term. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a downfall of diets mostly. Mm. Yeah. So I guess it comes down to, you know, eating a lot of your five serves of veggies and fruits um and you know people always say carbs are bad but we i think we've talked about it previously in the previous episodes where carbs are actually not the enemy it's more the processed white carbs are potentially the enemy not so much your complex carbs because in fact complex carbs are lower gi so they actually lower your sugar and insulin levels compared to high gi foods and they actually keep you fuller for longer so you know don't go on a fully low carb diet and not eat any carbs because that that's also not going to be helpful either so it's about as you said, not sticking to one diet, but having all your food groups in the right moderation and quantity. And that's where I think a dietitian, or if you have a GP who practices lifestyle medicine, you know, speaking to them, that can mm. also help um, if you don't feel like a TC dietitian. But it comes down to eating holistic properly, you know, having all your food groups 
basically. Yeah, eating smart, isn't it? Mm, it is. It is. And um, also focusing on all those mufas and poofas, you know, your monounsaturated fats and polyunsaturated fats as your fat sources instead of eating, you know, animal fat for fat, but eating more like your olive oil, your nuts, um, you know, the whole Mediterranean diet side of things. Focusing on that as your fat sources also will be helpful and eating less processed and packaged foods because you can think about all the added added sugars and salts that they have in those in those tins and packages too, which wouldn't help insulin yeah. resistance. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, Mediterranean mm. diet is, yeah. um, is definitely the thing that I normally tell patients to um, look into because that has also been um, you know, shown to help with fertility. And a lot of these patients are also looking towards fertility. So um, I think there's something about Mediterranean diet. Um, yeah, I suppose it's good. Yeah, but just for going back to when you were talking about exercise, um, the other point I wanted to make with that is that you know just because you you exercise you exercise and if you don't notice any weight loss, it doesn't necessarily mean it's not actually assisting with insulin resistance. It it actually is, and you know it can help to potentially reduce your um, you know it can potentially reduce insulin resistance. It can help to you know, induce your ovulation and fertility. So don't feel disheartened if there's no weight loss. I think exercise is still going to be good because it comes down to what exercise you're doing. If you're doing strength-based, you're building muscles, you might not get that weight loss. Although evidence shows that when you do, that's why the whole facet about having that aerobic exercise is important so that you are inducing weight loss. But my take on that is it depend, comes down to what weight, what kind of exercise you're doing and not to feel dis, too disheartened if that weight loss is not there. Keep exercising mm-hmm. um, and focus on your diet. Like it's what you pointed mm-hmm. out too. You've got to do both diet and exercise. One won't work without the other. What are your thoughts about mental health in the setting of polycystic ovary syndrome, Debbie? Um, I mean, in general practice, I see a huge implication of it. Um can you give me your own opinion on that? Yes, certainly. I think um, mental health is something that's more prevalent in women with polycystic ovarian syndrome. And I think it's um, one of those vicious cycles, isn't it? You know, like you could start having anxiety and depression and it's just exacerbated by all the issues that comes with polycystic ovarian syndrome. So you could um, find it so stressful um, with, you know, having abnormal hair distribution, acne, difficulty losing hair, the stress of getting pregnant, that can definitely um, make, exacerbate the anxiety and depression. It's such a vicious cycle and certainly something that we see um, very commonly in patients with polycystic ovarian. And then you start comfort mm-hmm. eating and then you put on more weight and then you have body yeah. image issues, self-esteem issues. It all comes yeah. all hand in hand. Um, so I think it's also important for us to be aware of it. Like, you know, mm. it's not diet and exercise. It's also mental health, as you aptly put it at the start. It's a multidisciplinary approach. It's not just one person that manages polycystic yeah. ovary syndrome. It's a team effort. For um, sure, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I guess the only thing I'd like to highlight uh, before we wrap this up is that, you know, in the previous episodes, we spoke to Amanda Smythe, who is a dietitian who was talking about mood food, um, about eating for better mental health. Um, and that's something that our listeners could also listen to, um, to potentially sort of eat better, um, to get brain to, you know, 
make them feel better as opposed to reaching for the carbs and the chocolates, which we know, yes, it instant gratification, but we know what happens when it starts slumping down. Um, but yeah, I guess that would be my take on it. The whole three, three, you know, the three big parts of polycystic ovary syndrome. Um, do you have any final words to add, Debbie, from your perspective? I think the only thing I want to add is that it's not just, um, you know, the, the issues that we talked about, which is like fertility, um, difficulty, uh, losing or gaining weight, I mean, losing weight and the abnormal bleeding. I think it's about the long-term health, health impact as well, about how, you know, having polycystic ovarian syndrome puts someone at risk of type 2 diabetes as well as metabolic syndrome that um, definitely, you know, it's something that needs a long-term management um, not just something that we um, deal with acutely. Yeah, and the metabolic syndrome comes with the high cholesterol yeah. and um, waste, increased waste ratio and things like that. So, yeah, definitely. So it's a chronic disease. Mm. It needs regular follow-up. Um, and that's basically the bottom line. And if I think that if any of uh, the best advice that you are just pick on what, what you said just now is, you know, if someone with polycystic ovary is trying to fall pregnant, the first, first thing to do is try, try to lose the weight. That 5% weight loss can have a huge impact on fertility yeah. and ovulation and things. Definitely. All right. Thanks so much for joining us today, um, Dr. W. Tama. Um, I look forward to chatting with you at another time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Thanks for watching this episode of Lifestyle Matters. Till next time.